Mysteries abound. We've been introduced to the characters, we've been introduced to the overall plot, and we are getting down into this cyberpunk masterpiece. We don't have time to wait. We gotta get to it. Let's talk about Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex Week 2! Okay, Miles, you're here. Yes, I am. Tyler, you're here. I'm gonna do my best Aramaki impression. <laughs> I know we were we were, we were recording. Got, okay, we've got to get to the through the six episodes that we chose. You see, we've got to get get down to the reports. The first minister of podcasting told us that we needed to get on this. Chief, I'm tailing. I'm tailing the Apple Podcast administrator. <laughs> He's he's hiding out in a hotel. <laughs> Don't let him out of your sight. Miles, pull around with the tachikoma and uh, do what you normally do. I know you're good working by yourself, but when you work by yourself, you let the whole team down. And the case is solved. <laughs> it's over. Open and shut case. So let's, sprink- let, let's sprinkle a little crack on him and get out of here. <laughs> All right, Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Okay, gang, we are here to talk about part two of our NMA deep dive into Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex Season 1, where we are covering episodes 7 through 12. Six episodes here. We talked a lot in the first episode about the characters that we were introduced to. I know we are going to get into more of that today, so I don't want to waste any time. Let's get started with episode 7, a standalone idolatry idolater uh, about yeah. a, a I hate the title. <laughs> it's a little I weird hate that title so much uh so we have uh, our, uh, introduced to a revolutionary leader named marcelo jarti who we have found has come back to the nation of japan every five months this is sort of a che guevara style character well known uh from his uh, south or uh, central american south america. yeah Central American, South American revolutionaries that he has led. He is a known uh, uh, entity that has been tried to be the both the Americans and the British have tried to to take him out. Couldn't do it, uh, and yet for some reason he comes back to Japan every five months. Uh, so what's the deal, guys? What did you guys think of this episode? So overall, I. I'm a big fan of this episode. This this episode does a a lot for the world building and a lot for kind of establishing. We we talked about this before we started recording this block of episodes as kind of the Bato block, because Bato seems to have a lot of development, a lot of focus and or a lot of standout moments more often than not in, in these episodes. But I do have a constant problem with some of the buildup of, of these cases because they, it's, it's always just rushed because I was struggling for the first little bit trying to catch up with why they were going after this guy. And I didn't feel that they conveyed enough urgency in why it was important to track this guy down. Um, and I, I have found little things like that in particular cases. And it comes up again uh, in a couple episodes from now where 
it just seems to speed things along just for the sake of getting everything in 22 minutes, which is fine. But I think that some of the standalone cases suffer because of it. Tyler, I have a question for you. Absolutely. Shoot. So I, you, you raised a question before we started recording that I want to announce which of these six episodes doesn't make it in the tie tie cut. Absolutely. Yes. One of these episodes does not make it into the tie tie cut. I feel like this, I feel like last week's or last, uh, our last conversation, the, the, the episode I eliminated, not too controversial this week might be a more controversial cut. I, I have three theories uh, and one of them <laughs> is this episode. For some reason, I feel like you might not be into this episode as much. I, I disagree, especially with the conversation we just had <laughs> about one of the best moments of this entire show. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> this this show has one of the greatest um, meme moments uh, of I I I. I of everything I've watched easily. I'm, it might even be the best moment. I've uh, never even seen it meme from the whole show. And when I saw it, I was like, this, <laughs> this is next level. The, the, like, that moment is of course the, when they are infiltrating the cloning lab, we've kind of danced around this plot and uh, the guy's going to the bathroom and he looks yeah. up from the urinal out the window and Vato is standing there and there's just this silence. And then he smiles and of course, rips him through. The goofiest <laughs> smile, yeah. the goofiest, most chibi anime without being chibi smile that Bato can give, and it just—it yeah. is, mwah, it's beautiful. It is. It really. I, I rewound that scene four times. Uh, so, so yeah. this this episode, we we are introduced to to Marcelo Jarti, who then gets picked up by some yakuza dudes, and there is this weird battle as the uh pol- the, t- the love that fight the detectives in uh, the japanese detectives that are not part of section nine try to take out and then this dude it's like big kind of open shirted long haired <laughs> dude just hulks out and takes out a bunch of yeah. them before they take him down and then they have to fight these i don't know whether they're they're security robots or if they're actual people that are just scantily clad ladies which makes me think that they're probably just droids i don't know Drones, I think they're I think they're cyborg women, um, just because normally, just because in, in the right before the fight, the one of the cyborg women you know points of uh, does the finger gun at the major and is like bang, which is just kind of uh, I don't know humanish I suppose. I know. So when, I, I think they're just cyborgs. Uh, yeah. They also have this I think around this time because they're it's a very high skyscraper. Bato gives the weird line. Oh yeah, you know what they say: smoking idiots love high places. I have heard that that is an old Japanese. Uh, is it saying, really? Because I've heard that in other things that the uh, that the uh, the only both smoking idiots rise or something like that. Like I've, well, I've heard, I've, I've heard I've heard uh, here only cream and bastards rise and stuff like that. But uh, the, yeah, I just, I just it just sounded so weird at a place for me. But I didn't know that was a, a cultural thing, so that, that that's fine. Also, on the subject of these high buildings, how strong is the glass? Because <laughs> those those little tamagotchis come popping in. Okay, we're already starting this now. <laughs> no, but they, they, they had the, these wires. They they. I get like as far as distributing the weight with the wires clinging onto different parts of the building, but when those things hit that glass, those things are not. Well, I don't. Light. I, I I don't think a lot of this is. 
I mean, it might be glass. It's hard because you could always say that it's we, we, yeah, we don't. aluminum or it could right, be a different kind of material. Something. Yeah. But they definitely crash. I mean, when he shoots it later in the episode, because that's when he first hit it, I thought, oh, okay, that's a different, that's not glass. That's something strong. Yeah, that it bursts. And then he later. shoots it out, and it seems like it, it, it definitely seems like So I, I had a problem with that. And again, anime gonna anime. I'm fine with it. <laughs> but but th- there's so many moments in, in both these episodes, especially standalone stuff when they're, when they're doing kind of the hard sci-fi stuff about really making awesome speculative fiction about where technology could go. It's sometimes a little disorienting, I guess, or distracting to see some things be taking kind of uh, a little willy nilly. Yeah. They definitely hand wave some things and then they, they, which focus is, on the realism of other things and it, well, and it works for the most part you know it's not like it's a big deal but uh i well, can understand because, that thing hit the, the ceiling or what right and, and for me again i'm i i had a hard time trying to figure out until the end of the episode why section nine is involved in the first place because we're led to believe by the the definitions we've been given through the episodes uh, they're almost strictly cyber crimes like they're like the secret agents of cyber crimes well and so the the chief says in the beginning of the episode that they brought in section 9 because the uh the foreign affairs department knows that Jarty keeps coming to the country in 5 month increments but they they can't track him they don't know where he goes so okay okay although so they know they're fun, try, okay okay yeah, I, I, so I, I they, re- they requested their help to track him specifically because okay, they're just like okay. we know he's here and then he just he just vanishes he's just gone and so they're trying to figure out what he's actually doing in the country. and and this is what leads us to the maybe the best moments of this episode uh in in that you have the, the, the bathroom gags the best moment of okay the, the second third and fourth <laughs> best moments of this episode where <laughs> where uh they're all communicating with each other. The major Togusa, who for some reason is yeah. joining this instead of one of the, you know, uh, cybernetically enhanced people, you know, whatever Togusa going to Togusa and Bato, they're all, uh, coordinating and, Oh, I see Jardy. We're going to, we're going to ta- attack him. We're going to arrest him. And, uh, and so they start it's like, Togusa, where are you? Bato, what are you doing? And that we find out that they're all fighting Jarty. In different locations at the same B- time. Bato's not. B- I like how Bato was just chilling on a chair, pointing a gun at uh, at a Jarty who's just who's just kind of hanging out in like a break room. It was so weird. And we find it was out, so Bato. Yeah, and we find out very quickly uh, after the major kills her Bato that uh, so Bato or uh, Bato uh, her yeah. her Jarty a lot of names Jarties yeah yeah uh, that. Uh, Jarty has been returning every five months because he's been dead. He is in a machine that is what is known as a ghost dubbing machine. And the facility that they are in is a cloning facility that is basically yep. copying his ghost to different so, different bodies true. to allow him to go out and be around and exist. Yeah, Drew, can you talk a little bit about ghost dubbing and what that is? Because I know when I first... I was kind of confused when I first uh, watched the episode. I was like, ghost dubbing? Okay. So this is one of those things where we kind of have to define ghost, which I don't think we've done yet. It's it's something that is talked about a lot in the show, but basically their ghost... They use ghost and kind of interchangeably for soul, for um, like that feeling in your gut. Like the major even says, my ghost is telling me to do this because that's just 
because she doesn't have a gut feeling, but she doesn't have any guts. So she has a ghost feeling, I guess. Uh, so basically the ghost is, is what compromises your being, your existence, your memories, your brain patterns, if you want to get scientific about it. So what this machine does is it copies that onto another seemingly identical or as identical as you can get it cloned body. There are, of course, some issues with that. It's a very complicated process. And it appears that Jarty has died in the process of doing that. So what they're doing is cloning clones and doing it that way. Or using Okay, so I, I, I was on the impression that, that like Jarty accidentally died while he was over there. And so that the uh, the Yakuza were ghost dubbing him so that no one knew that he passed. That, that, uh, yes, that is that is correct. That is, they yeah. replicated him three times, and then he died. But uh, the uh, oh man, the why can't I read my own notes? The Korinkai, the Korinkai gang, essentially the Yakuza want, gang, in, in this yeah, which is a Yakuza gang, didn't want the world to know that they had killed uh, Marcelo Jarti, and so they just kept sending out these cloned of clones. So that the immortal hero of of uh, South America could continue to live, and this is probably why the Delta Force and the SAS have been able to maybe take him out, but he suddenly popped up again because there's oh, yeah, more they, than one of them. They've definitely he's definitely been killed four or five times. I <laughs> yeah. think and he just keeps just walking back in, and they have to return. The clones have to return every five months to basically download their stuff into the next batch, back up their memories yeah. and things like that. Um, and I thought that aspect of the episode was really fun. I, I, I enjoyed this diving into the idea of ghost dubbing. And again, just giving it, getting another really cool cyberpunk concept along with a case. I just felt that the case while I was being presented it. And again, I think it's part of it is they're, they're rushing things for the runtime. I feel like it could have been better laid out. So this is where I get to the end of this episode and I have mixed feelings about it because after all of this, all of the investigation, the gunfights, the battles, they just let him go. Yep. And that's something that, that it asks the question and they talk about it like, well, we know this. Why are we letting him go? Well, because if you don't let him go, it's going to destabilize this entire region of the country that relies on this person's persona yeah, to I, exist. I, I, it, it, it both works and doesn't work for me because it just feels like nothing happened at the end of this. Like, Well, especially given the major's personality, I don't really see her making that call. Well, I mean, especially, it's, especially it's given not, not her making what that she call, wants to do. In episode eleven or twelve, I, I I just I don't know I, I just I wasn't completely satisfied with the 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 way it was set up and then the the denouement. I I thought the the fight sequences were really well done. I think this show does a really great job of animating their fights to make them look both realistic but also uh, very flashy and fun. I think you know the 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 filler gags were fantastic bato i mean is obviously the standout because that bathroom gag i mean it's it, this this episode gets a pass for that that scene alone um 
I, I can't stress enough how how important that we, scene we is were, uh, to Ghost I, Michelle. If you haven't, um, there's a there's some YouTube videos called AMV Heck. I'm sure people are familiar with the AMV Hell series, but less maybe slightly lesser known is AMV Heck. And um, if you go out, you can go out and watch AMV Heck. I think it's split up into parts now, or at least what I saw was. And part three of four has that scene in it. Uh, and it's massively it's hilarious. I won't <laughs> spoil it. I won't spoil it what it is here, but if you haven't seen it, you should go out and watch all of those uh, videos. It's, 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 funny, it's goes very, very, it's very, very good. Um, I mean, like, again, I, I think this episode is fine. I, I would guess it, it would not be necessarily cut in the Tai Tai cut, uh, based on the great Bato gag. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. So I will say that for me, this episode is quintessential to this show because it it because it shows what I think is peak what this show can be, and yes. that is and that is when when from when Jarty arrives at the hotel after Togusa tails him to pretty pretty much the end where they apprehend the 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 rest of the Jarties, and it's that. It's that, you know, the detectives out in the field relaying information to Ishikawa and the chief and them looking up their own contacts, pushing that information. And it's that back and forth, that rapid back and forth, pop, 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 all this information streamlined between all the different sections. And it's so fun to watch that interaction and to see everyone engage in their speciality. It's really, really well directed, really, really too, good. because you like you said, it, the, it pop, pop, pops. It, it, it's cut very well. To where you, the viewer, are being just as a little bit disoriented as the characters themselves. Like, I would say from from after the exposition until about the last two and a half minutes, it's it's phenomenal. It's we're it's peak, just we're those, peak Ghost in the Shell at that point. Yeah, it's, it's but those bookends are so important to making this a great episode, and that's where it fails to me. Like, there's a lot of good meat in this sandwich but that bread soggy if we had more of an idea of what would happen if jarty was actually no longer around that might have meant something i don't know yeah i i, I think that's some, that's uh, that that kind of information i think you're right drew that kind of information and this comes up a little bit if you just give us a little more gravity to what some of these things mean it uh, communicates much more importance to us as a viewer. I I will say this episode is in the tie tie cut, but it is not in the slot it currently sits in in the tie tie cut. I think it's going to okay. get moved around. I I think a lot of what this episode suffers from is is where it lies because it comes right after episode eight, <laughs> and you're coming off of a the comp you're coming off those three complex episodes, and you're just. I think you're dying. Uh, I, I, I think you're dying for more lapping man case. And then and then you get um, you know, poor <laughs> poor Marcelo Jarti, and he's just not gonna cut it for you. So uh he's he, I, I, that, this episode I, is in a different place for me. I can definitely see that. And well, let's move on to episode eight, uh standalone, the fortunate ones missing hearts. This is one I would put in contention to not being in the tie tie cut. Yeah, the, of of the ones we have left, this is one that I think is on the bubble of the tie tie cut. Y'all, this episode does not make the tie tie cut. I am busy. I guess that right. And I this episode get... is gone, which I'm so sad because as we're going to talk about, Drew, I'll let you run down the episode, but we're going to talk about 
something in this episode that I love dearly. There, there is some really, really good stuff in this episode. Yeah. And there is some really sloppy storytelling. This so so th- what this episode is, it's a very it's oddly lighthearted for the circumstances of what this episode is about. It's definitely got some major backstory and I don't mean huge backstory. I mean, backstory about the major. Uh, uh, it's got some of the goofiest things that happen in this show. And I think this is an episode that reads better after watching more of the show. Uh, I could see that. And it's tough because I will say that season two of ghost in the shell standalone complex that we are not watching heavily informs things that happen in this episode, specifically when it comes to the major. So this, in this episode, the, the, one of the, the major's friends that we are introduced to when she goes to her, uh, her little, uh, friends, friends, uh, (laughs) and earlier in the episode where she goes to have drinks and access her, uh, external, uh, storage or external memory archive. Um, she works at a hospital and she said that there is a young girl who just got a heart transplant, which was very lucky, but because the girl was about to have to get a full cybernetic body Shell. because a yeah, full cybernetic body, much like the major has the oddity of that is that they don't know where the heart that the girl got came from because it wasn't, it was a little too lucky, a little too convenient that all of this happened. And well, and they specifically that? say that the the donor, so the the label um, for the organ that had the donor's name on it, uh, they went back to contact the parents of the donor because the, the donor was like a little boy, and the the parents say like, "Oh no, we did not approve of his organs to be donated at all. That should not have come from us. That should not so, have come from our, our child." And that started the whole investigation and, into and, and where a- what, what what happened to this organ. There's a kidnapping ring that's been taking people and taking their organs. And then we are introduced to, uh, I, I forget what the name of the company is. Um, the, the Meditech Meditech yeah. organ, tr- <laughs> like basically they, they grow replacement organs in these genetically altered pigs. Uh, and they, so if you're, if you're, real body breaks down you have a new organ to slot in or if you if the organ's going to go bad or the pig is going to die before you can use the organ you can sell that organ to somebody else and make a little profit i love the massive barcodes on the side of the pig yeah i also speaking of things i love in medtech the 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 head honcho who boy the head honcho Uh, is a delight in the English dub, he is a a southern accented uh, oh he's, gentleman. He's a rich Texan through and through. Uh, who is wheeling and dealing? Except his cybernetic shell is a little tiny box with these weird little <laughs> like robot arms coming off of it. It is one of the most interesting cybernetics that we get to see so far. Uh, it is called the Jameson series. The Jameson yes. model cybernetic. I, I love the Jameson model. It's also, there's a line, at least in the English dub, there's an interesting perspective to me on the possibility of what people will do with a midnight, a midlife crisis purchase with prosthetics (laughs) 
and especially yeah. people because he basically says like, yeah, the life and kids don't really like it, but uh, I, I love it. Like, yeah, he yeah. did this as a choice. It <laughs> yeah. was a it was a midlife crisis purchase, basically. And so funny. And he's just going on being being, you know, a Beverly Hillbilly in his accent. And I and the reason I love I love this scene is as they're walking away to us. It's like time marches on, but there'll all be always be folksy guys, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just it's I'm just like this. This is where the episode starts. To, like, I think the premise it's the exact opposite problem of the last episode. The setup of this episode is fantastic. But from here until the episode ends, it's kind of a mess because they the narrative shifts on how to take the the culprits of this case. And it seems like what they're doing also shifts. Like I feel like they I feel like there's like two drafts at war with each other in this episode. So this this episode has a lot of things to say. I don't know that it says them particularly well, but I, think I agree. Things, but I think the things that the concepts that they introduce on analysis are really interesting. I have one question before we move into that, though. Tyler, mm-hmm. yes. it, I know that sometimes this happens in anime. We are mm-hmm. we have this this. Jameson cybernetic with the Texan accent and I can't imagine that in the Japanese dialogue they made him a Texan because what does anybody in Japan know about Texas right so obviously in the verbal Japanese he is not speaking with a Texan accent he is speaking with now he so there is a region of Japan that is known for kind of having a quirky um, accent that's often you know made fun of. You see it in other anime where they cut off, where they where they they kind of with the subtitles are done in sort of a southern way. Um, I've seen and I've it's seen how they communicate that rural dialect. Yeah, I, I've yeah, seen a lot of to, a lot of yeah. anime recently have have leaned yeah. into the southern as this. Right, oh, so that's that's what it kind of that's what it kind of is. He's supposed to come across as um, from a from a very specific region, of Japan, very rural, um, but. It's funny because these subtitles in the Japanese dial in the Japanese um, version still says that Texan accent, and I was just like, "What?" <laughs> just, so it was please so tell funny me you to watched me. the English part too. Yeah, I did. So yes, so I watch um, as always. I watch the Japanese version and the English version because uh, I. I, so so it sounds like this it sounds like this this release on blu-ray does what a lot of of anime releases do they are dub titled they're not truly subtitled they're just correct the, the english is a sec or not english is a second language the the english for for uh hearing impaired subtitles that they apply to, to both yes the closed captions that they just apply to both yes tracks. essentially the script for the dub is the subtitles for the the Japanese. Yeah. Version. Right. Which um, bothers some people greatly has not uh, bothered me yet. It's okay. But you it, know. yeah, it hasn't really, that was the first time that it was so dissonant that I was, I was just kind of, I just went, wait, what? <laughs> Why would the major reference a Texan accent? That makes no sense. <laughs> but, but you know, you, I, I, it's whatever. Um, I, the English version is way better. If you're going to watch episode eight, Oh boy, watching it in English because that is—it's worth it just to watch it. It's so funny. The part that the Jameson robot in is just, just pure gold. Uh, it, and I think this episode, 
as a comedy is top notch. Very funny episode. But for what I want out of my Ghost in the Shell standalone complex is not this kind of full on comedy episode. So, so well, um, well, let's get so into. I, I gotta cut it. Let's get into to some of the other stuff that's going on. So what we have found out uh, through through the wheeling and dealings of Section Nine is that there's this team of medical students that yes. are are taking organs and they're they're kind of selling them on the black market and getting them into the hands of people who who can't afford them. And they're worried that they are going to get get busted by the Yakuza. The major ends up pretending that she's a Yakuza enforcer to scare these kids. And, and it's all funny. And the Tachikoma gets stuck in, in between two buildings because it was too big, which is all very funny. Which I think undermines a lot of what's going on in this episode. Because a hundred percent agree. Because there's there's two things that are going on. First, you have the major herself who sees herself in this little girl because the major, when she was a little girl, had an incident that happened that put her in a full cybernetic body. She knows what it's like to struggle to control a cybernetic body and have to learn that when you're that young. And she even references that brief moment that we see in the CG intro of the, the little girl's hand grasping the doll and the doll breaking in half because she doesn't know how to control her strength. All of this stuff is stuff that is that is informed by me watching more of this show. I know that's not a fair thing to talk about right now because you guys haven't seen that, but that's that's where this lets me down a little mm-hmm. bit because it introduces this, but then it turns into that comedy. The other side of things that we have going on right now is we have we have both a a a wealthy and a poor aspect of both people with real organs and people with cybernetic bodies so you've got this little girl should they they luck out into getting because she's got a a a body she's got an actual human body that's biological she needs a component for it but that they cannot afford so the idea is that well to keep her alive they might put her in a cybernetic body but the cybernetic body, if they can't afford an organ, they're not going to be able to afford a very good cybernetic body. And on the other side, and, and they have to con- they, they have to continue to change her prosthetic have to body. Can, as she can, ages. Continue to change the prosthetic body as she ages, as she grows up. So she's going to be locked into these really interesting, uh, into in- interesting things. Which actually, oddly, is going to come back in a later episode, which is funny um, to me. But um, but then you have. The, the 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 whole uh metatech is that what it is uh yes uh, metatech yeah. metatech where <laughs> it's these to st- everyday human organs that are harvested and sold for the highest bidder by this person that is in maybe one of the cheapest cybernetic bodies we have ever seen <laughs> And it's all so, the, and, and none of this stuff, like all of this stuff is just left there for you to think yeah. about. And it, 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 it's stuff that I didn't really think about in this episode until watching it this time that this is, this is what they're talking about here. It's just wrapped in this. Yeah. Let's have the major pretend that she's a, a, a BA Yakuza person and, and scare these, these young punk kids who are really, they're making, they're making a dishonest buck, but they're doing it in kind of a Robin hood way of getting these things into the hands of people who can't afford them. 
So what they're doing and, is like 30% good and 70% bad. It's it's like it's I don't know what to make of this episode. Well, so so here here's my problem is cuz I I made the same note about, you know, I like the bait and switch of it not being some shadowy mafia, but a group of Robin Hood students. The problem is they they continually recharacterize these students at first they're talking about how you know yeah we we can we can sell these to people for for who can't afford them for a better price and and they're all like you know righteous indignation but then we get further in the episode and they're all just talking about making a score and, yeah. and i was and like, like well, and, what's, and what's angle oh here? don't worry my dad can get us out of this that yeah. see, and that is where the episode got cut that line was like who cares my dad will just get us out of it and i'm like Nope, we've already done the rich kid tries to get away with stuff that he couldn't get away with. Back in episode three, that got cut then. This gets cut now. I have to have standards. I have to draw the line in the sand somewhere. And it's rich kid who thinks he can get away with things. That episode gets cut. This episode um, should have stayed a Robin Hood story. The kids should try to I get agree. away with the, the kids should try to get away with the organs. When they get confronted by Bato and the mayor, they should have just stood up for themselves and, and the said, mayor, I agree. Why are you stopping us? We are helping people and you are stopping us. You are the bad person. And like that would have been a great confrontation. Because obviously, obviously they should have realized that they can't get away. Whoever's well, chasing the, them is is way better than them. And I think having right. them make a righteous stand for the the um how well, it, discriminatory it sort of philosophical like yeah. question that yeah. the audience is forced to answer yeah and these are I med agree. students they're supposed to be compassionate people and they obviously are in some regard and i think they could have i think they should have pushed that more instead of falling back i mean you know this kid essentially when he gets conf uh so in the end uh two of the kids are just giant wussies and they they just kowtow immediately to bato <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh so uh to be fair if bato was yeah. chasing me down i'd probably kowtow to him too yeah. <laughs> but one of the you kids it's funny my, about a guy with, our, with our, our rich boy uh he takes off he tries to get away the mayor uh the major decides to the mayor the major decides, the mayor twice now <laughs> i know i don't know what i'm talking about uh the major decides that she's going to you know basically teach him a lesson personally and she and she does a big monologue and he ends up uh, passing out and, wet, and wetting his pants after he tries to bribe her and weasel his way out of uh any consequence at all and that's also where the episode lost me because it it's just a whiny brat. And and it's, like, it's, who cares? It's, it's almost like if if they knew that they were cops and not yakuza, that maybe that would have turned out differently. But we'll never know. And I'm well, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. It's like I think about this episode and I remember it fondly, but watching it this time, I'm like, hey, there's it almost gets there and then it throws yeah. it away. Outside yeah. of the story part, because yeah, the story the story is what really kind of clams this one up because there's some really good ideas. The episode itself is really, really nice, and some of the show's uh, background budgets really stand out. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I love the scene where the Tochikama is, and this this actually shows another inconsistency where it's going, it's rolling across like this glass like ceiling, and the oh, place yeah. starts to shake, and all these people start gasping. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. If this happens, then how come it didn't happen when it landed on the on the skyscraper? Well, because they're they're, um, they're very dexterous, problem. like like spiders, and I, I, it, was, it, it was it was a weird thing. But there's a really great shot, a really great shot yes. of yeah, Bato and the Tochikoma, and it's doing this really cool homage to Spider Man hanging upside down. 
overlooking that pier of all of the uh like warehouse uh stuff and and uh the the steel containers it's just a really good looking shot mm-hmm. and honestly if you didn't know better you would think that the Takchikomas were really really badass and not children yes. but <laughs> But they but are. It's it's, they, a, it's 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 gorgeously jobs. animated. This entire episode, from the chase sequences in the hospital when they're trying to figure out who's doing what, there is so much from a technical standpoint. The the details on the Jameson and always making sure that all those details and the logo is just right. So much that this episode the, does so well. The little if mini, just, the little, the little mini pop out arms that the Jameson has. Yeah. If, if, they, oh, yeah. if they had just like really sat down and, and like Tyler suggested, like really made this story a better philosophical, like attempt at, Hey, let's, let's ask some tough questions because now we're putting the major in this situation where she has to answer for something that really she should be for given her situation. I would have loved that. I would have. This would have. Right. This would have given a chance to say so much about the major psyche with the end of the episode that I feel like this episode should be called, you know, not missing heart, hearts, but missing opportunity because this <laughs> this episode does. Can I tell because you about? I want, so I want to much talk about, about it. I love. I want to talk. I so when I cut this episode, there were two scenes in particular, or two shots that um, shot. Well, one shot and one scene that made it very, very difficult to cut this. The, sh- the shot I'm talking about is when a Tachikoma is in stealth mode, completely invisible, and it is flying down this very narrow lane of, of um, storage containers, these metal storage containers, but it's too small uh, or it's too big. And so it's leaving these massive gashes in the metal and the guy running away with the med student, the rich boy running away, can't <laughs> see it. And so it's just seeing the walls warp and bend. It is a terrifying shot. It is legit <laughs> scary. If you yeah. were in that position, I would be I would be noping out way harder than this kid was. <laughs> uh, and that was a great shot. And, and, um, the, but, and the joke they make for that at the end of the episode yeah. when the touch yes, was still it was stuck a good in follow it. up. Very good. Yes. I think from a technical uh, standpoint, this this episode is is borderline award winning. I just I wish the story matched it because this same. this episode, even from the character models and everything that I've had complaints about before, everything just looks great in this episode. And that I think is why I come down so much harder on it, is because this could have been one of the better standalone episodes, and it mm-hmm. just isn't. Well, Tyler, and at the very to- end, the very end, we get the first, the first ever shot of uh the major giving us a tried and true cute smile she is adorable (laughs) omg uh obviously uh she has a confrontation with bato because he's purchased more weightlifting equipment uh and she Uh, scorns him for spending his money uh and bato just i mean they square up like no well i know i'm not gonna cut around it they square up and the major just kind of removes her watch and she looks up at Bato who puts up his fist and she just delivers the cutest smile I've ever seen. Top 10 cute smile moment in anime. And then just hacks his brain and uses his own fist to punch himself in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hilarious. It is a truly really great. 
it's such a good comedy moment with a great follow-up by, if, by if Togusa. Just, if they just leaned into the comedy more and the serious stuff less, or leaned into the serious stuff more and the comedy yeah. stuff less, it's just, yeah. th- that's really, like, there's so much that's good in this episode. It's just ha- two halves of something good that don't make right. one great thing. I also uh, feel like the animation uh, looking up at the major after making Bato punch himself is really weird looking. Oh, is it? Yeah, it, the the way this the way that it's, it's drawn. It just it looks the perspective is wonky and it just it ruins to me the zinger that the major has. But oh, again, the, the 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 episode ends on a great note in that that scene is fantastic and it would have been better in. A different episode. Speaking of a different episode, because we need to, because I'm looking at the time and we're not even halfway through it yet, gang. (gasps) We got some big ones coming up. I think we can go. I think we can go through nine pretty fast. Yeah, I I agree. We're we're probably going to breeze through that one. Yeah. So nine uh, is a complex episode. The man who dwells in the shadows of the net. Chat, chat, chat. Uh, so this episode is one of the old, one of the two complex episodes we have in this run. Not too many complexes happening, um, and this is what we call Info Dump Two Hundred Two. Oh, it's not a one hundred one because it's a little more levular than that. Um, yeah, but I, I at, at this stage in the in the show, I can appreciate it. It's a low action episode. But I think it's a necessary meditation on the Laughing Man. This episode, you know, stops and let us kind of pontificate along with this chat room that we're focused on about the Laughing Man. We get some pieces that we've had here and there, but this puts everything. This basically gives you the entire perspective of the case, what it means to people at large, why it's important, and I think it's a smart move to see some of that on the side investigation from the major, but also just to get everyone on the same page of like, this is what the importance of this overarching story is going to be. We've given you the crumbs, but now we're putting together the whole cookie. And I, for that reason, I I don't mind when a show stops and smells the roses for a little bit. I, I think it's fine. And I thought for the most part, this this show or this episode does a really good job. This, this entire episode is the major investigating a laughing man, dedicated chat room to see if she can glean anything from what's being whispered about on the net. Uh, her, her mistake to me, which does not have any consequence in the, in the episode at all is she rolls up in this chat room, basically. Hello, fellow kids. What's up with all this laughing man business? (laughs) I mean, she literally says, what's up with all this laughing man business? And I, I was just like, what are you doing? So this is, so what's, what's funny about this is that this episode came out in 2003 chat rooms existed at this point, as we've talked about last, last week. The thing that I find the most interesting about this episode is that you have a lot of the same, like people that exist in chat rooms You've sure. got you've got the very friendly guy who's just there to spoke the conversations. You have the the overly enthusiastic fanboy who comes in dressed in the costume and doesn't really know as much as everybody else, but, but sure claims likes, to have sources. <laughs> claims to have sources. You've got the really quiet person who it does nobody really pays a ton of attention to, but is the one that's saying the most important things <laughs> and, and all of these. And it's funny. This is the, this is like a, uh, 
uh, voice actor cavalcade when it comes to the English uh, voice acting. The fanboy is voiced by Johnny Young Bosch. The uh, that's a Black Ranger to you, sir. Uh, slash Red Ranger, sir. No, was he not? Well, Zio. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Adam in Zio. I thought he was green. Uh, he was a green ranger, wasn't he? Because Rocky was the Red Ranger at that point. Yes. And then Tommy became the Red Ranger in Zio. Anyway, this does not matter. Yes. <laughs> fan <laughs> fanboy coming in. I'm the fanboy that doesn't have all the actual answers. Uh, and and the uh, the the gruff like guy that seems to know more than he lets on that that people kind of write off at first is uh, Steve Bloom. Yeah. Uh, Spike Spiegel. Um, uh, uh, so many characters and so many things. Um, get, but yeah, I mean, but, but, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tyler. No, we get a lot. And um, I, it, it's a good episode. Um, just because we've had, you know, we have, we had two episodes away from the laughing man case. Uh, this is a good reintroduction to it. It's a, it's, um, it's a good way to show how the laughing man incident has kind of shaped some of the public discourse or at least the online public discourse. Yeah. And, uh, and it has a, and it, and it, it ends with a decent kind of teaser to it. Um, not a big, th- not a big thrills episode. Nothing of, uh, there's a lot of talking. I will say, uh, again, just, just this, this episode is better in English because it's a lot of subtitles to read. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, I, I, I gotta say, even though I can still understand some spoken Japanese, I was reading a lot of text and I was very <laughs> right. tired at the end of this episode. I, and I think it hurt the episode a little bit. If you are reading the, if you are watching uh, the sub just because you're just losing out on a lot of things. You're, you're, spending, so, so, you're spending so much time reading the bottom of the screen. So Tyler, I know you are a person that makes notes when we watch these episodes, we <laughs> yes. get, a, we get a lot of information and a lot of speculation. That's so one of the things that is interesting about this episode in particular is that a lot of the conclusions that these people have come to doing their online research are some of the same conclusions that section nine has come to. I'm just yeah. wondering what, what information do you think we need to know going forward? And what information do you think is not necessary? Oh, that's, that's, I think the information we need to know going. F- well, short answer. Is, it's all necessary, but I'm just trying to see what, pu- what puzzle pieces you, th- you have and what puzzle pieces you're trying to put together. Yeah, I, I think the main I think the main thing is is that's you need to understand moving forward is the evidence for both sides as to the legendary the two versions of the two main arguments, which is the legendary single man laughing man, which is one person is doing all this and they're just a legendary hacker um, that that is that you should fanboy over, which is what our fanboy believes. I believe is that he, he believes it's just one guy um, doing all this. Uh, And, and that the other one, which is that this is a multi-person situation. Uh, Those are like, I think the two really big things where there's, there's just a lot of back and forth conversation. Well, if it was, you know, what does it mean if it were each of these things? Uh, And how does that change how we view this case? And the other thing is that all that a lot of these people online, including our really quiet guy, have kind of already parsed out that uh, Nanao A just can't be the laughing man. 
They just don't believe it. Right. And, um, but they also, and they also talk about the rationality of the laughing man, which I think is important because, um, I, I think someone tries to dismiss the idea that the laughing man is uh, irrational. That do, that does he doesn't make obviously they're like a super tier class A hacker or whatever, uh, so they must be a very rational person. But then they talk about the irrationality of appearing on TV with the Serrano, Mister Serrano himself, and and what why why you know and, and I I think it sets it, and the reason why that's important is because it does kind of set up the feeling that many of these people have that this is a multiple personality situation where it's like all of these all of these fingerprints kind of feel like different people there's not one jointed arc that that feels like a continual logical thought so which is why i think they kind of come to the conclusion that now a can't be the laughing man because what he was doing and and what we've seen from the previous laughing man incident just doesn't seem to be the same but other argued against that as well so um i mean i yeah i i agree it it like i said it it centralizes everything you kind of need to know about this case to Put it, put it all in one in one spot so that going forward you have a good idea of what we're working with from an investigation standpoint. But what I don't understand, and maybe you guys can clear this up, up a little bit, I'm not exactly 100% sure is what happens towards the end of this session with the major. Like, did someone hack her at, as she was questioning the one person who seemed to know something? Or, or what was going on there? Basically, the major, in my opinion at least, sees the laughing man. That one of the people in that chat room, whether it was one of the people talking or or not, they whatever was going on, that the laughing man was paying attention and presents himself to the major. But seemingly via a proxy, because... Uh, we hear a voice, I think, shout out like, oh, you know, they're like, I have to get off now, or I can't remember what they say. Um, oh. It sounds like, a, 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 well, no, I think I think that's the, that's somebody else. There, there's there's someone who, who's basically, it sounds like they're talking to their mom. Yeah, exactly. And then he, she turns the corner uh, and there is the laughing man, but it's an avatar. Um, so, so I, I, yeah, 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 it's interesting. We don't know. It's something that simultaneously means so much and means nothing. Oh, Could mean a lot. Could but you know lot. what really irritated me about this entire episode? The one thing that really irritated me, as I really liked this episode, I thought I thought it was it was a good uh, pause of the action and a good meditation on on the Laughing Man case. Is this entire time the major's been driving? <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> At the end of the episode, I think she's driving with uh, Bato. Bato. Yeah, and, Bato's, and, and been he, Bato's been talking the entire time. <laughs> the entire time. He's opening his heart to the to the matron. She's diving while driving. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. She does make it, she does make a statement about how she could drive this car in her sleep earlier in the season, yeah. and I think that's very funny. That oh, she, and she reiterates that. Yes. But yeah, I, I was like this, yeah, this entire time she was driving and not listening to Bato. And I I thought that was a great so way, like that's that's mm. a see, that's where the show uses comedy well is yeah. stuff like this. And that I really appreciated. But um yeah, I I I thought this was a solid episode. Uh we don't need to spend too much time talking about it because this is where 
I will say though, this is where the the show has a massive tonal shift that is uh, <laughs> jarring to say the Ooh. least. So th- this next episode, episode ten. A perfect day for a jungle cruise. Jungle cruise. This episode is known for being cut from certain syndicated runs. It's dark. It was Isn't cut. It? it was cut from YTV. It's a standalone episode, so it's much easier to do that. And I, I feel like maybe we should have warned people that the, the, the about this episode. I know Adult Swim. If you're watching it there, they do typically air a warning in front of it. Because this episode is about a serial killer, and it is yeah. an ep- and it does not shy away from being oh, no. very dark and very disturbing in the things that it's doing. Uh, it's it's yeah. it's. I was impressed by how dark this episode was, and this also shows you the opposite spectrum of its comedy. It shows, you know, they can really do really good. I mean, this this whole mystery was good. I did have a problem with I dislike how the chief automatically pulls up this guy and said, this guy, this guy was involved with some things that bear a striking resemblance to this case. Just, I I mean, we don't even get a chance to like look into this case. He just, well, so, so the, so the thing about that, and that's, this is something that is the most interesting about it is because there isn't a huge mystery about this case. There's a case within a case here. Everybody knows exactly what's going on. It's just who wants to talk about it first. So this is another thing that we are introduced. Right. We're introduced and to a new faction at this point. So let's let's get into it. So we yeah, have let's do the rundown. We have a a serial killer that has been going around for the last couple of months in Japan that stalks and and basically captures women and slices the skin off of their torsos in the form of a t shirt. And while he does it, he actually plugs them into his brain. So he forces them to watch him through well, his th- eyes. So there's two things that go on. It's not just that he yeah. he forces them to watch because we learned that later. Right. He also records their final moments yes. and, and sells them on the black market and distributes those amongst the homeless people on the black market. Yeah. So uh, it's 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 a horrible. T- terrifying thing they do not shy away from the gore in this episode you, you know miles you, you've criticized the the animation on characters in the show i'm kind of happy that it's not animated better in this episode because <laughs> well then this episode's well animated um outside of like and i i agree with what you're saying drew having now seen the episode i just wish they had conveyed that information visually or something just a little bit better just to give me an idea that something's going on because that little setup. And again, this is just a consistent problem I have with the standalone episodes. Is I feel like some, a lot of times the setup doesn't quite stick the landing in the way it needs to. It, it often isn't enough to really derail the episode because this episode is fantastic. So, so, so to continue. So go, we, oh, go ahead. Drew. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> well, I was going to say, but the, so as part of this, we are also introduced to two CIA agents that are coming over from a new little American notable Empire. phrase, the American, <laughs> American Empire. Empire. So, is this the first time we 
hear about that? I think it is. Uh, they might have been referenced earlier in the uh, in, in. I think he just says the Americans before, but yeah, I think this correct. is the first time so that the, I hear American Empire. So, yeah, so, so this is this true. is something, and I, I can't remember whether I've talked to you guys about this offline or not. Um, this is nothing that's ever directly referenced. Uh, so. As part of one of the previous two world wars, because we've had World War Three and World War Four since uh, in this timeline, uh, World War Three, which was a nuclear conflict that Japan largely stayed out of, uh, the United States of America was uh, in a bad spot, being a major player and taking a lot of nuclear attacks. Um, it is now exists in three forms: the uh, Russo-American alliance, which comprises a lot of uh, New England, the West Coast, and Canada, which I know is not America, but is part of it now. Uh, you have um, the American Empire, which is basically the states that were the Confederacy. I was about to say, please, please tell me that's just the South, because that would be hilarious. I mean, I, I, I as a, a an American Empire citizen, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, and then there is the there is what is left of the United States of America as we used to know it, which basically serves as a buffer along the Rocky Mountains and into basically a T between the Empire and the Alliance. Uh, the so in in the fallout of both literally a literal and figurative fallout of World War Three, uh, the the states that that were in the southeast of the United States consolidated power and the military went with them, which is why they are the strongest of the remaining and still a world power uh, of the the remaining uh, American things. So. We're interested is in this communicated in the show at all, like later, or is this in some sort of extra flavor? Somewhere? So the creators of Ghost in the Shell are also the creators of things that have happened otherwise, like uh, Appleseed. Um, the American Empire exists there, too. There's just it's a lot. I, I, I want to well, say that's, maybe that's Shiro. Yeah, I want to say a lot of the. Uh, uh, a lot of the stuff comes out in, in side story stuff. There's enough of it that you, if you Google it, you can look it up. But yeah, I mean, I, I always love like reading little things of like what happened and stuff like that. They don't um, cover a ton of it in the show other than the American Empire exists and they are the main American force that we and the, see in the And show. the two CIA agents that we're yes. introduced to are immediately the scummiest people we've ever been introduced to yes. besides the serial killer. So it's it's not <laughs> just it's not just that they are extremely duplicitous, but they are I want to say this in the right way so because it's very obvious what's going on. I didn't write down their names. But the the CIA agents that are sent to go to Japan have the most Japanese names that we have yes. heard in the entire show so far. Yeah, and I think one of them is literally like Takanaka Wat uh, Watanabe, which is I mean Watanabe is already I think a pretty common name, <laughs> and Takanaka not too far away from it I believe. So yeah, yeah, and and they are also animated and drawn to be very obviously Japanese. In a way that most of, I mean, most of the rest of the characters are, you know, big eye anime characters. These are 
like supremely like these are Japanese people. And you know that that is something that the CIA sent these two people or at least sent these two people in these two bodies for a very specific reason. They are there to to get on the good side of of the Section 9 people and they're there to to be the 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 familiar face and, and it's and they claim that they claim that they are there to uh finally you know wrap up in a bow this uh and and catch Marco Amaretti which is their what they believe is the suspect for this these serial killings yes well, and, and once Bato who was an ex like ranger for the for the Japanese army, I guess their ground uh, ground forces. So first, so so again, this is a this is once again a World War Four thing. Most of the people that we meet in Ghost in the Shell that are in Section Nine, with the exception of Togusa, fought in World War Four. Okay. The ma- the major Bato they didn't fight together. Sometimes they fought against each other, <laughs> which is how they met and then got recruited later. Uh, so, because there's a lot of, like we talked like back way back when when we're talking about Nanao A getting involved in revolutionary activity in when he was in college, right. uh, back in episode four or five, they're talking about what's going on in World War Four, at that point. Yeah, yeah. that's what so, I figured. So, um, uh, so a lot. Of, so basically, what happened with World War Four is that the American Empire feel needing to. Needing to uh, uh, stretch their wings a little bit, needing to consolidate power, they start looking for enemies in different places, and part of those enemies are are convincing the UN and the other powers that there are these terrible things going on in Central and South America, which is a lot of where World War Four takes place. It takes place in other places that we'll find out later in the show. Blah blah blah. But um, so. As part of this, the, the we is it Operation Sundown is that what it's called? Project uh, Sunset. Project Sunset. Thank you. Uh, that Bato, as a the for some reason the Japanese Special Defense Force is allowed to participate in these conflicts, even though they are not currently allowed to do that in real life. Um, yeah. So Bato he's, knows he's, he's seen basically what what was allowed by the CAA operatives and what the, the things that they, as, as the, so, Americans so, so, so yeah. Did. So what the American empire did is, is, is in this operation, they would send special forces teams into, into villages, have them get on the good side of all of the people in these villages, befriend them, become a part of the community. And then when the time comes, turn on them and horrifically slaughter all of them. Yep. And yep. Just so to basically Bato, take out like enemy morale. Yeah. So Bato essentially walked in on one of these villages while project sunset was being carried out at the time. Uh, and I think specifically he sees uh, uh, Marco Amaretti and now at that time, not able to do anything about it. Um, now that this man has resurfaced in Japan on, on Bato's turf, Bato is rightfully fired up about oh, it. Oh, he's hell yes. He pretty much just states, I'm going to kill this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which as we, come, as we come to, which, yeah, exactly. As we come to find out, um, 
Because it also seems like the CIA has dealt with stuff like this already. And they know exactly how to play these scenarios. Yes. Uh, But they essentially, uh, Section 9 hacks into the CIA comm feed where they learn that, you know, they're they're They don't intend to, uh, you know, bring Marco back. Uh, <laughs> they only kill him. They only they bought to plane. Yeah. They only bought two. That plane was a back. brutal line. Oh my Lord. What a great line. That guy delivers. it so cold too. great voice acting. He's like, we only have about, two plane tickets. Ow. Everything about <laughs> this case is pretty expertly because they because we know going in who the guy is whether or not i have problems with how that's delivered is really not a problem because everything from then on is so well done and we get so much character moments about and from bato himself because we we glean stuff about his past we also kind of figure out more of what makes him tick and I think as far as a standalone episode, especially one that defines the world around Ghost in the Shell, this episode is pitch perfect. This is exactly what I want from a standalone episode. It doesn't always have to be this dark because this episode is dark. dark. This is super dark. But this is uh, this is probably tied for my favorite standalone episode that up, uh, sure. with episode two. Uh, those two stand at the top for me. Uh I, I really, really like it. And so, of course, the CIA want Bato to kill uh, Marco for them. And we get a standoff between Marco and Bato in a really cool combat sequence. Very, uh, And you can even see how Marco uses his guerrilla warfare style uh, down in these, essentially, the sewers. And, oh, and, even, uh, and there's little things like when they first go into the sewers, they find some weapon stashes that Marco's set up. It's like, man, yep. this is, this is the ty- types of details that I love. It really stuff like this. It's really good. And, and we, and I think, and I think this, this episode has a good spot where it sits because we're already kind of connected to Bato. And so as he continues to get fired up and angrier and angrier, especially as we learn that there's a seventh victim and uh, they find them alive and they essentially save her life by getting her into emergency care. And then they rush down into the sewers. Yeah, they say has his confrontation. They, they save her life, but at what cost knowing what she went through and the fact that yeah. the fact that he piped his vision into her oh. mind while he was doing what he did to her. Well, no- no, the seventh one, the seventh one, uh, she, it was different. Oh, no, he recorded it. He recorded it from her perspective That in, for the seventh one, I think. Because oh, they, the, they find the disc. Uh, and it's, it's just like then, this, yeah, there's a reason this episode does not get played right. all the time. But Bato has his <laughs> moment where he, he subdues Marco. Marco asks him to skin him with his own blade. Which shows you what kind of uh, where this guy is mentally, <laughs> right? Uh, and Bato has, and and we see Bato just shoot his gun, ba 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 ba, and uh, Marcelo's body's twitching, and we think, or Mar- Marcelo, that's that's from the other episode. It's, we it's, see Marco's well, body twitching. It's Marco and Marcelo. I I, have- I know, and we think, wow, he did it. He killed Marco. Uh, but then we get a we kind of get a pan out, and sure enough, he just shot you know three inches from Marco's head. And he manages to resist, and it really shows Bato's willpower and where you know that he and as he says, like he's like, I'm you know my war is over. I'm a cop now, and I didn't kill him because I'm a cop. And yeah, uh, I I, yeah, I love good. that scene. I I like I said, I think I think this is in some ways one of the more powerful episodes that we've seen so far in terms of how it delivers it. 
and it's not even because this 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 episode is is as dark as it is. It's just because of how how they give you so much world stuff, character stuff, and a really poignant case. Well, and and, and they, even, they stick the landing on that. And even the creepy, disturbing stuff is because the way that they treat a serial killer is a way that you can't treat a serial killer in the real world. There's no way that he can do the things that, well, there's, I mean, the t-shirt thing he could probably do in real life, but like the forcing people to watch themselves get skinned yeah. thing is oh. something that can only happen in a cyberpunk right. universe. But there's enough, there's enough, I think, connected to reality, even as we know it in terms of, you know, having to do some of these horrible things in war, breaking someone and, and not that this is like, I, I, it's not something that happens often. And I'm not saying that this promotes that, but looking at this case, you can realistically see something like this happening for sure. I'm trying to be really uh, careful with how I, how I phrase that. Yeah. My, um, my favorite, my, my favorite small detail from this episode is that, uh, when they learn that, uh, Marco has recorded all of his killings and is distributing it. Uh, we, we get a scene of Bato and uh, Togusa wa- trying to watch one of the scenes. Togusa om- almost throws up. He can't even finish watching it. I thought he did and throw then- up. He might have thrown up, but he, I mean, he might he wretch he either wretches or he gets really close to it. But then, just a little while later, we actually get the major and one of the CIA agents, and they're watching the same the same or a similar scene in a booth. And all we see, we don't see what they're what's on the screen, although we hear it, and it doesn't sound great. Um, but we see the CIA's agent's face, and he it, he his face looks like he's seen this a million times before. Yeah, and it's just. Disturbing. It's a great detail because we already know that like this is so disturbing. Togusa, our our golden child, is throwing <laughs> up over a guardrail. And now we're watching the CIA agent. He's smiling a little. He's actually got like a small smile on his face as he's watching this extremely disturbing video. And it vilifies them in such a great way. It was a cool little detail and I really liked it. Yeah, I I, I think this this episode, but I mean, I'm just kind of repeating myself. This this kind of hits the home run as far as a standalone episode. I I really liked the placement here because we've had a couple episodes where it's a little uneven here and there, and we had the one Laughing Man episode, but not much happened. So this one, this this delivers us everything that we kind of want. We wanted, you know, a really good case, yeah. some action, and something that kind of made our skin, skin crawl. Like this gives us everything. Yeah. So it just reminds us before we get into episode eleven, which is a Laughing Man related episode. It's a complex episode that. Even though where the standalone episodes don't specifically deal with Laughing Man, it doesn't make them any less serious. For sure, yeah, it was a high octane episode, which is then yeah, very much like you said, Miles, juxtaposed by episode eleven, which is a slow burn to a weird place. I, so, so I I, so I like let, episode eleven. So let let's get into it. So we're we're we've got two episodes left, and yeah, we're on the halfway point of this episode because I feel like we're gonna have a lot to say. Episode eleven, a complex, the forest of the images, portraits, the Ministry of Health. Labor and Welfare's database has been hacked into and classified material has been stolen. Section 9 d- d- traces the hack and determines that it, that it originated in a facility that helps treat people that suffer from something called cyberbrain closed-shell syndrome, which we'll talk about shortly. 
Togusa goes undercover, even though he uses his own name, uh, to the to the facility. <laughs> I didn't realize that. You're I right. Love what that the so much. What, the fuck? what an to- idiot. To- what Togusa <laughs> is a big dumb golden retriever of a human being, and I love him so he much. Really is man. That guy's he the just, best. He walks in with his his fashion mullet and his real name, and just goes for broke. <laughs> So he so so Togusa goes in undercover to investigate this facility uh, and learns a ton of stuff that we are going to 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 talk about as we get into this because we're going to we're going to have to discuss a lot of this stuff first and foremost. Say, go ahead, Moss. Uh, I was going to say I love the kind of opening moments of this episode when Togus is going undercover. I think I think it it presents it as one of the moodiest episodes yet in terms of the, the way the score is going while Togusa is walking around what seems to be an empty hospital or, or uh, orphanage, a place for wayward kids. And nobody, um, uh, it is called a vocal aid center. The, the, the scene where he's just walking around at, at, where everything's empty and this really great moody electronic music is playing and pulsing, it's just it adds such a good mood. There's this underlying creepiness where you don't know what's going to happen. And, oh, man, I, I love the way this episode opens up. Like, I mean, I, I have plenty to say about Togaza being a, a, a dumb golden retriever, but that opening is fantastic. <laughs> So so let's let's get into some of these things that we need to learn because they drop a lot of a lot of terminology. There's a lot of information. There's a lot going on. <laughs> so we we are inter- we are introduced to this facility which treats people with something called cyberbrain closed shell syndrome which is a which is is thought to be by the vast majority of the public a syndrome where people so so again, this also shows us that people look at that get cyber brains, their lives are not necessarily perfect because there are sometimes things that go wrong or things that, that happen that much like just being a human being, you might have something going on. Well, yeah. Well, and different brain types react differently to cybernetics because I know they talk about uh, kids with autism and certain disabilities functioning differently with the cybernetic uh, brains or to cyber life. I really appreciate how this show offers such a wide variety of the effects on society and psyches that technology has. And it's never good or bad. It just is. It shows you some things that are really, really interesting and really cool. And some things that it's just like real life, you know? Yeah. And, so, so, and, and that's I what, feel like it just gives us a well-rounded picture of the future. And that's where these, these not just kids, because there are adults in this facility, too, that have presumably been there their entire lives at this point. So people who, who have closed-shell syndrome are people that presumably close off from society when they have when they, they get their cyber brain augmentations. But that is because they associate a little too freely and openly and a little too well with their cyber brain. They get a lot more involved in the net and, and going through and going online and the things that you can do with that. And that is something that is unique to 
a cyberpunk future because we don't have computers in our heads. And well, oh, what if there are people that get a little too, too that they get a little close to to this this whole thing? Um, I will also say this is this is the first episode that introduces us to autistic mode in uh, Cyberbrain. Uh, you're going to hear that a lot in later seasons when they get into combat. Um, they do not mean it to be an insult to people that are on the autism no. spectrum. They mean it in the the origin of the term, basically self-isolation. It's kind of like turning your brain on airplane mode um, so that your Wi-Fi and Bluetooth are turned off so that people cannot directly communicate with it. That is what autistic mode in these in, in, when they talk about it is. This was a different time when this was not something that was on a lot of people's minds when they were doing this. Anyway, moving on. Um, so, so we're introduced to a lot of things. Uh, we, we are introduced, introduced to the head of this facility and her super huge cyborg bodyguard guy. That's, Looks like a hulking Robocop. Yeah. Uh, Can I say this guy goes out in the most weak sauce way ever? Yes. A hundred percent. We'll get into that, but just, just, a note for all you listeners. This guy's weak sauce. He's big and totally... When you first see him, you're going to be like, oh, that guy's trouble. Nope. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe you should watch that end scene again, Tyler. Maybe I should. Even though you watched it a couple of times. I watched it twice. I must have... I, I mean, I can miss something twice. Believe me. So, something so, so Togusa is is meeting these kids and he's introduced to a lot of things. And, and we noticed some weirdness about this. That what these, what these people do at this facility, because they're so good at what they do online, they create defense mazes. Like we've talked a lot about the the little collars that that the that section nine and other people wear in order to protect themselves from from being hacked and things like that these are the people that are making those things they're making the mazes and selling them to the government and selling them to all sorts of governments and this is how they stay in business it is however interesting when you look at things like the their living quarters and the fact that uh they don't have a lot of beds in their living quarters or any or any <laughs> it's a lot of yeah. just yeah it's a lot of just uh uh places to to sit and connect and do things um and we we're introduced introduced to the concept of the chief who is something that all a lot of the kids look up to who has been gone for a while and is now gonna maybe come banging back and the chief and the chief and the chief uh and uh i don't know what do you guys think so far as we've gotten into this episode uh, I well, mean, well, the, the, the chief told me not to talk to you guys about it, so I'll step out of this conversation. But so Miles can go. Ahead. <laughs> oh, well, I was just saying uh, until you know we find out more about this because I knew this was a complex case going into it. I I still didn't reach the conclusion the episode does, and so I will say this is where we start to see some some kind of cracks in our adoration for Togusa. I still love Togusa. But boy, howdy, does he bungle this case. And going back to what we were saying last week about how he's relatively new, I do kind of like that he sort of bungles it. But the the way in which he does it seems to be that he can't function as a person. Because he does, he does some of the most obvious, don't do that 
stuff. Like what? That that just the way he interacts with those kids. I have constantly asking about the chief. Yeah. Like everything about how he deals with them. I've worked with kids and, and that is not how you talk to him. That's not how you, he's as bad talking to these kids as the major is establishing that she is someone not to pay attention to in a chat room. (laughs) Like he is literally hello fellow kids in these guys. And (laughs) you guys want to go out and throw ball. Dude, did you just take this poor kid's mitt? You yeah, monster. I, you dude, evil I love, monster. I love when that kid gives him so much hell for taking his glove, even though Togas thinks he's like doing this whole thing. And the, and you see him make the 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 kid he takes the glove from make a small motion, and the other kid's like, "Dude, you're freaking him out." Yeah. I, I, so there's so so, there's so much about that aspect I really like. Let's talk about that baseball glove because we're introduced to this kid that is in 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 a. Is it a wheelchair? Is it a hover chair? I can't remember. He he is. He's an, it's a wheelchair. Uh, he he has this lefty catcher's mitt that he hangs on to, yep. and this is a term that I am not super familiar with prior to watching Ghost in the Shell. A lefty catcher's mitt is is code online for for something that's not real that doesn't exist and is also. A J.D. Salinger reference. Yeah. In, in that... Yeah. Uh, yep. Hold, the, the, Holden has a brother that he makes up stories about that has a lefty catcher's mitt, which I believe yeah. is the origin of the term as it's used online. What a deep cut. This this uh, this show has... has I mean, well, the complex episodes do this, but I was just impressed when they kind of threw that ball at you. And you're, I just thought that was a neat... Uh, because it was just believable because they, they when they first introduced it to you, it's just a kid's kind of um, attachment object. You know, it, make, it makes it makes Aoi feel better. And so he holds on to it all the time. Uh, and it, to figure out much later that it has a, a very different meaning, it was was really cool. I like Yeah, for sure. And we also see it painted on the wall in the, the communications room that Togusa has to hack into to communicate with his Section 9 team that same phrase that we see the laughing man use right with the added or should I? Yeah. Which I liked. I, I is very nice. I, yeah. And, and all this happening in kind of a school S setting gives it this air of creepiness. It's, even though it's not a school, but it, it functions in a way like one. And I feel like even though like, so Togusa brings it upon himself to think that maybe the head of this center knows something about the chief and leaves this kid just wheelchair out right yep. by the door and decides to waltz in her office and look things up like in the middle of the day. Also, one of the weirdest offices I've ever seen, but no, that's OK. Yes. There are there are stone statues Oil paintings of sunflowers, if I'm remembering correctly. Which I wonder if she they, she was just collecting from the kids. Uh, yeah, she I, has yeah, them paint. I don't. But I will say the flower painting is an oil painting. And Togusa has already made the connection that the writing, the Laughing Man writing on the inside of the locker or that metal case, uh, was in a blue uh, oil paint. Yes. And so... It's the only, I think it's the only other place in the episode where we see blue oil paint is on that uh, painting in her office. 
So, of course, the <laughs> the head catches Togusa rummaging through her stuff. And refers and, to the chief immediately. You won't find yeah. anything about the chief in there. and I, Which threw me hard as well. Yeah, after because we learn more in the episode. Because so, yeah, it seems that she knows what's going on. She knows why he's there, even though she doesn't know who he's necessarily working with. Yeah. And then and then we proceed to like, you know, sick him. And, and, and then the the big dumb Robocop, you know, picks him up and kind of beats the crap out of him for a little bit before Toga said. Fires. I like shots. how the robot. So Toga is holding like like a like a, a serving a cake serving spatula thing. He's holding oh, a yeah. kitchen tool. And yes. and the and the cyborg guy is like, you're gonna fight me with that? And Tokusa looks at it like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't. And then just gets whooped hard <laughs> by this by this cyber dude. So but so Drew, you you've teased me here. I thought Togusa just I mean Togusa just seems to shoot this guy six times. And he and, falls over. And he falls over. Does he get hacked by Aoi? So something that takes multiple watchings of this episode to really catch. And I'm going to tell you guys because I think it's fascinating. Right. Togusa gets laid out. is on the ground in a pool full of blood as the Major and Bato scramble to get there. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, as that happens... The leader, the 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 lady who's been running this place, gone. Yep. Togus is lying on the floor. No blood is around him. And just next to him is one of those stone statues full of bullet holes, roughly where Togus is shot. Oh, no way. The... You should look that. Well, I'll 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 look that screenshot. So up I noticed because and I, I had in my notes I was like no blood, no, uh, woman, and and I thought that was fascinating, um, but I didn't see those bullet holes. Oh, I can't. I'm gonna go watch that episode again right after we're done with this. I gotta see that. Yeah, it's that's that's awesome. It's huh. one of it's one of those things where and then as they go out, I think you meet another person that works this facility that you've never seen before in this whole episode. <laughs> it, it's one of those situations, and then the chief is gone, and and the uh, and and some of the kids mention. Oh, are you well, gonna... we, we we don't we don't know that's the chief yet. That's true. <laughs> but uh but yeah it's it's fascinating and 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 the question then becomes how much of what Togusa has seen in this episode is even real. Yeah. So so right. to pick back up, Togusa gets beat up by the cyborg thing. He shoots the cyborg thing, it goes down. Togusa does a a really like horror movie-esque turn and face the bad person and then just gets head slammed with like like WWE chair to the face or whatever oh, that yeah. object was knocks him out cold the the woman uh tries to plug into his brain she says section nine and then boom her eyes roll white and she passes out over the top of them uh that triggers a whole series of um uh, back where Bato and the major and one of their androids are in like a surveillance van uh, the android gets zapped. They learn that somebody has hacked past a bunch of their barriers, and Bato and the Major make the move to go in 
they and they they sweep the building and they do eventually find Togusa and like Drew described, uh, no woman, no blood from his WWE debut. <laughs> and uh, uh, I shared the uh, uh, I shared that image in in Discord for you guys to see. Yeah, I, I see that. That's uh, I I missed that. It's, and then we also it happens so fast that if you're not if you don't know that it's there, like I I I had to be notified of that. The <laughs> when I saw that, that's really really cool. Though. That yeah, that I I did not see that. That's so cool. Um, and then we get this this other series of events that happens soon afterwards, where we do we meet the chief who we've seen the entire time. This kid we thought didn't say anything, could barely move. Ollie, yeah. Ollie is is apparently the chief, and he starts talking to the kids and about how he's going to have to leave and, and erase their memories, but they they want to have some sort of keepsake so that they, they may not remember him, but they'll always kind of know. Yep. And I, 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 I enjoyed that scene. I... I'm kind of curious where you guys are at. I know, Drew, that you, you know this show very well. Tyler, you're, you're like me. You haven't seen it before. I was so confused because in the net, when Togusa first arrives and he takes Aoi and he pushes Aoi to the, that room uh, and he has that first interaction with the kids, another kid comes out of nowhere and is like, hey, guys, did you hear? The chief's coming. The chief might come this week. And so then I was really confused because I'm like, wait, but... Well, what, keep in mind. what I thought I'd do is pretend I was one of those deaf mutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's why that's what I I didn't know if I was just trying to figure out, like, I, I don't know. And I'll be interested if this is answered is is like, were those kids doing that on purpose? Like, was that code for them? Um, I, I, we obviously I know that always is, is pretending, um, but they, they do. It, the one of the kids does mention voluntary memory wipes. Mm-hmm. Oh, does this yeah. mean you're going to wipe our memories again? As if... Yeah, I, I I like that this episode gives you a big reveal, but still tells you absolutely nothing. Yeah. I think it's kind of a masterstroke. I, well, I know, Tyler, you said you had some conflicted ideas about how well, you felt about, about this episode and its, and its reveals for The Laughing Man. Well, and but, let, oh, let's, let's talk about the big reveal of this episode, is that Togusa, after all of this is said and done, draws Aoi's face from memory. And what happens when he turns that picture around? Yeah. It's that Laughing Man logo that we've seen. Right. Yeah, which I wonder if that means, because Togusa, he has, he's got implants. He's got a cyber brain, so he can be hacked. So he can't, so he, yeah, he can be hacked. He also probably can't see it. So while... What what that says to me is he might have drawn what he thought he saw, but no one can see it. Well, and again, that matches what we have known from the previous Laughing Man episodes. That anybody that tried to draw that for the sake of of sketch artists always drew that face. I I like that because we get the potential. Go ahead, Miles. Oh, I was just saying, we just get the potential identity of the Laughing Man, but we still know absolutely nothing. We just, we just, we have seen him, but we don't know. We don't even know that's his real name. We did, we just, yeah. he's there. And I, I kind of like this, to me, begins what I assume will later be like kind of the cat and mouse between the Laughing Man and Section 9. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I do like that, you know, Togus, uh, I think he sees Aoi. Um, when he looks yes. at that picture, he probably sees Aoi. Um, and it's cool because 
when, uh, of the kids that Togusa was in charge of for five seconds, um, one of the yeah. girls actually does draw Ollie. Yeah. Um, there is a sketch of him, and I think they try to find it. Um, but it's they, gone. but Everything, there are there gone. are no records of Ollie ever being at that facility. Um, much of all of that is completely gone. They have no, they have no idea uh, whatsoever. And so it does bring out the idea. It does essentially what the show is putting in front of you is that Ollie could be the Laughing Man. Ollie could just be a physical vessel for the Laughing Man. Um, but it also means that all these kids could be the accomplices. And so, it, it, you know, like initially my thought was, wait, are they saying that Aoi is the laughing man? And the reason why they were able to do all these real time hacks was because while Aoi was out there doing the being the, the physical laughing man, these kids were able to real time hack. And that's why everything was able to happen in such a masterful way. Right. And because, you know, and also because they kind of have this closed shell syndrome is why they were so proficient at doing all the computers things. Uh, that's what it's kind of presenting to you. Uh, I, I I I don't think that's the full story. Um, it, no, I, I don't think so either. But yeah. I think what's not so cool in is, the slightest. <laughs> I love that it, it it gives you perceivably what could be the identity of the Laughing Man, and you still feel like you know less going and forward. I, I don't even think Aoi is the is the la- I, I think- he may not be. Yeah, I think he. I think it might be one of those things where um, the Laughing Man might control that that unit, that body, at uh, certain times uh, when it when it's useful for for them to do so. Um, but I don't think that that is the single unit for the Laughing Man. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't I haven't I haven't read ahead. I don't know, I but have no idea. I I personally, episode. even though I I Togusa done effed up, I. I thought this episode was great. I, I I mean, so far, all the Laughing Man episodes have been really on point, delivering stories that they should uh, at the pace they should. That they've just they've consistently been good, and I Very hope good. that keeps up with the rest of the show. Because while I have had issues with with several different standalone episodes, I still love this show. I love the world that they've created, and and the Laughing Man episodes for me. Outside of just saying, oh, yeah, there's an overarching larger story going on, they they are always cementing that quality when there might be a lesser episode. Now, this comes right after a already stellar episode, mm-hmm. so we're we're on a good run. And then and I then, will say, oh, the next episode we get a nice breather, a very yes. nice like sigh, <laughs> and we get to relax for an episode. Oh, this this after, episode so after is, two just so is, yes. Fluff. So, and so, well, it's fluff. It's it, but it's it's. It, you say it's fluff, but it's fluff in a way that only a cyberpunk concept well, yes. can be fluff. And well, I'll, it, say, I'll say it this way: I think the first half of it's fluff, and the second half could have been a different episode and really hard hitting. Introduces some very interesting concepts. So let's get into it. Our final episode of the night, episode twelve, a standalone. Tachikoma runs away, the movie director's dream. Uh, so one day, early in the morning, Bato's Tachikoma, and we have to clarify because all the Tachikomas have individual voices, and we know that this is the one that Bato likes, that he has been giving natural oil to and special treatment to, etc., etc., etc. It gets up uh, to leave the, the storage bay and explore the world. And while ro- roaming the streets, uh, it encounters a little girl named Miki who is searching for her lost dog. So it decides to help. 
Yeah, but I mean, this is this that's... is this is Tamagotchi's day out. This is what this is, and it's this half of the episode because this story runs about twelve minutes long. Yeah. It's cute. It's fun. Right. I think there is some really, really excellent animation. There's a scene where uh, Miki is riding um, the Tachikoma, like, I guess, through town or whatever. Um, not through town, but, like, on the highway. And yeah. the way it's animated with the wind blowing in her hair and the way she's uh, on top of it, it's just – it's gorgeous. It's yeah. one of the I- most well-animated things in this entire show. Yeah, it's it's and and its adorableness is accented because Miki has attached a leash to the Tachikoma in yes. like the cutest possible, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like attachment to a machine. I think we've seen so far. I really um, liked. I really so liked there, the there's a scene that I w- I hope that one of you guys maybe I watched this episode at three o'clock in the morning, so maybe I just missed something. There's a scene where she wants to buy some meat for her missing dog so that when she sees her dog, she can give it some meat. And the Tachikoma scans and says, oh, maybe not. Is, is, did I miss a joke in the sign? In, or? in the background, in Japanese, there is something that indicates that the meat that they are seeing is dog meat. Yes. Okay. See, that was not communicated in the dub at all. Nope. So I, was I had like, to I, look that up, friend. <laughs> I, 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 that, honestly, that's where I thought that was coming from. But I was like, well, they didn't really give me like I get that that from the Tamagotchi's tone of voice. It's, you know, obviously, OK, they're there. It's either dog meat or it's it's not good meat or something like that. Um, and this, this episode wraps up really nicely. You. And it leads to the next part. While they're looking for this dog, Locky, the the Tachikoma comes across this odd box and decides to plug in. And you can see that it, it, it has a weird effect at first, but then the the Miki story takes over, and we we go through that. And basically, it, it comes out that. The girl was just pretending to go out and look for her dog because she didn't want her parents to know that she understood that her dog was dead. And I don't want to. I don't want to sell this short because no, it's 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 except it's, that scene is exceptional. At the entire time, I'm like, yeah, this is cute. This is okay. Tamagotchi day out. But that scene and the one the voice acting, but the delivery because all of a sudden all the cutiness is cut. And the way the voice actress uh, that uh, of Miki delivers her lines, I mean, it's heart wrenching stuff. I really, really appreciate that because this could have been this could have not been a cyberpunk story. So, so this this story, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this a little bit. I'm gonna take the take the stage here because I've this is tough for me, um, partly because oh. partly because uh, oh, that's right, we lost a dog at the beginning of the quarantine. Yeah, I forgot like about that. First, we have we have two dogs and two cats, and the cats are a year and a half old. They're they're still practically kittens, but our dogs are old ladies, and we lost one of our dogs at the beginning of of the the quarantine, like the first week of the quarantine, and um, it was tough. It was the toughest on me of all the people in my family because this is a the dog that like she liked me the most. She was my lap dog. All of this, and um. 
I only mention that because I looked at this episode and the way that that the, that she handles her dog's death compared to the way that my kids handled my dog's death. And my my kids they were not overly attached to this dog. They, it was just it was a part of their lives from before they were ever born. And uh and and when when we lost our 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 dog the kids were more worried about comforting me than they were about worrying about the dog. And that is something that just, this is something that affected me personally in this one moment, (laughs) in this one watching of this episode. And I want to get that out there that I think that, 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 that what she says about, you know, pretending that she doesn't know that the dog is dead for the sake of protecting her parents' emotions hit me so hard that I definitely shed some tears watching this episode. It, it's actually done, and I did not expect it to be that well done. Yes, absolutely. I will also say that the, that the story that she tells about the secret goldfish mm-hmm. is yep. another J.D. Salinger catcher in the rye yes. reference. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the, the I, 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 I honestly... I do not get the attachment for Catching the Rye. It's not I think that good if, of a if, book. If, uh, if this entire episode was just the first 15 minutes, if it was like a short, I would have been happy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't even need the latter half of this, of well, this and, 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 but then, and the And the latter half is also interesting, but it's interesting in a completely different yeah. way. Uh, my the, my the, only the, complaint is I think this episode should have been two episodes. Yes, I agree with that. Um, th- so it's funny that you mentioned that you don't get the attachment to Catcher in the Rye. Um, what's funny about Catcher in the Rye is that I... I've, I've never read Catcher on the Rye. I need to. It's on my list. And maybe I'll do that as part of this. This if I ever have the time to read it. But what I do know is that Catcher on the Rye shows up in so many serial killer profiles. <laughs> it, it absolutely does. <laughs> and and it's one of those things that I can't help but think that that's intentional when it comes to this story. Oh, no, no. I, I, I think it is. I, I definitely think it is. Um, but... Like when it comes to the laughing man, everything I where I kind of like, OK, why do we need it from every aspect to like, why do we need it from a, a, a Salinger story from the little girl? You know, it's it's just one of those things. The secret. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm guessing the uh, the creators like really just really like this book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's fine. It's, fine. it's, it's working. Yeah. It's working. That's the thing. It's working for the context of all of this stuff. You know, uh, it, it I, do, is. I do also want to throw out uh, just a, a reference because there's not much that we're going to be able to say about the first part other than this is shown from the context of the major watching all this happen. But the way she's watching this happen is from one of her old child bodies that she is remotely controlling to keep tabs on this tachikoma and little hey i was gonna ask who that was because i missed that entirely because (laughs) i am a dumb person it's i mean you can see some of the some no, of the I, facial as soon as you say that I, yeah 
Yeah. hundred percent. So, so when I first saw uh, that body, I paused it and I got my wife and I said, do you see her shorts? Do you see how they're unzipped and unbuttoned? Do you think if you wore shorts like that, they would stay up like that? No, they wouldn't. Right. And she just dead. eye looked at me and went, yeah, that's how tight girl shorts are. And I was like, gosh, darn it. Son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she got me so hard there. I was so upset. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, good job, uh, Ghost of the Shell. You had it spot on. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't looking at the little girl's shorts. So, uh... how could you not? There was a pan up from her legs to her <laughs> pelvis to her top. You saw the shorts, Drew. Um, I, I feel. I feel real dumb that I did not connect that that was the major. That was the major. Yeah, <laughs> the majors. The, one of the because majors. I, I kept bodies. waiting for that girl to come back and like, oh, maybe she means something later. And then, okay, that it also it makes more sense how she knew everything. Again, I just yeah. Like, yeah. I, I thought it was Miki's sister at first. If it makes you, but, but it's but it's also yeah. but it's also interesting in that, you know, the major is just as interested in what this Tachikoma is going to go out and do in the world as the rest of us are. Yeah. Which yeah. the last thing I want to say about this is just one of the funniest things that that happened in this episode when the the uh the cop stops them to ask what they're doing. Oh, so funny. <laughs> and the yes. Tachikoma uses uh Chief Aramaki's voice to so great. I'm a war hero. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I put my mind in this body. It's like, what is going? Move on? along, sir. <laughs> oh, it was it was, so it was really really good. So so let's, I don't let's... understand why the major got so mad at Bato at first because I was like, because she she blames it on him using the natural oils because the natural oils allow for things to attach to it it's it's not that they allow things to attach to it we're going to find out more about what's going on with the, the tachikomas throughout the rest of the story okay. but the simple fact is this thing on its own got up and left and yeah. nothing stopped it from leaving oh yeah the major gets super pissed and then but this I, is a favorite. this is a multi-ped optical camouflage equipped main gun equipped tank this is a problem for it to just be wandering around the streets of nihama well nobody seemed to care everybody everybody was pretty much down with it and this is something that's brought up i think in the movie or something but it's also essentially a child yeah and so there there also is that aspect i because i love i love when when the majors or it's right it's before the major comes down on on uh bato Toka to Toka says something and all the, the, the robots call him a bigot. Yeah. <laughs> and I I thought that was it's so great. funny. Great. It was, well, it and, was and again, this is another part of this episode because this whole first half of the episode, at least, and really even the second half of the episode, is dealing with the concept of death. And that's something that as an AI who could back up and duplicate their personality in a thousand different ways they don't really understand the concept of. And that's yeah. really, really fascinating that they're talking about this. And that's, and this is what makes, like they could have made this episode a full episode and then yeah. have the second half be a full episode. And I don't have a problem with them doing it this way because I I was worried, Tyler, that this was going to be the episode that didn't make the tie tie cut because I think this episode is really fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I definitely could could see that. I could see myself kind of cutting it, but 
I think it's I think what it says is too powerful. I, I you know, it's I, unique. I, I agree. It, it's and and I think it's a good also it's really good where it is in chronologically in terms of the episodes. This is a very good place for this kind of episode to be. Uh, so no, stay this one. Well, cause this in, gives you all the these meditations on, on the brain in cyberspace. It gives you meditations on death. It gives you a lot of things to work with, especially right after we get all this information about what's happening with the, not what's happening with the laughing man, but this, the stuff surrounding the laughing man case. Yeah. And, I really liked the second half of this team. Yeah, this, and, and the, the, as, as a, as a the, the fan se- of film. The second half of this movie, or this, uh, this movie, good Lord, listen to me, foreshadow. <laughs> uh, the second half of this episode really shows us that there are plenty of other mysteries to worry about in this world. And as part of this, we've talked about this re- this briefly, the the Tachikoma and, and the little girl are walking through this little market, this little side street s- seller that uh, they come across this weird box that has this black, like round thing at the top that definitely looks like a brain. Uh, and they just take it. They don't buy it. They just take it. Uh, yeah. And Tachikoma so, be stealing. Tachikoma be stealing. Uh, so as part of this, they're, they're investigating this thing back at the section nine headquarters. And one of their team members that went in to investigate what this thing was, would plug it into it. Hasn't come back out yet. So the major decides that she's going to dive in and figure it out. And what she finds is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I, I love this is why this is why I wanted to be an entire episode, because I wanted more of of this. I wanted more but, of, but this, of her conversation with the creator of this stuff. But, but this is the thing about the about the way that this story could go is that the way that they're telling this story is impossible for us to experience. And that's I think why they left it the way they did. Because so well, how, the, how do you mean? So what this what this is is what what the major finds when she dives into this what we learn is a cyber brain in a case that is just giving it power for as long as it possibly can is a movie theater. And you go into this movie theater and you experience a cinematic presence, a movie, a film that you could, that doesn't have a beginning and doesn't have an end. Something that is a perpetual, something perpetual that exists, that is moving and, and is so impactful and so important and so, so that you need to see it so much that you can't leave the movie theater. And it takes the fact that the major is a full body cyborg with all of these enhancements to be able to break away herself from that and therefore to break away the person that she went in to go get from that. And that's that's something that that is so fascinating that there could be this like I I don't know if you guys have ever had this where you you wake up from a from a dream and you go back to sleep and you have the same dream but then that same dream starts repeating the same patterns over and over and over again that's mm-hmm. as close as I can mentally get to what is happening in this episode 
Yeah, and uh, here, here's the thing is I I just wanted to continue to meditate on this rather than I don't need to see the movie. I don't need to see anything than what we got. I love that shot of Major Kusanagi looking at the screen for about 15 seconds, taking it in. You see tears coming down her, her face. It's a wonderful scene, and I love, love the conversation that she has with who ends up we end up finding out is the director of the film. I, I got, I got, I got to, I got to repeat the dialogue. So he asks her, what do you think? And then he just says, I have to admit for a movie, it wasn't bad, but diversionary entertainment is transitory. It just comes and goes at the viewer's whim. It's the way it should be, but a film with no beginning or end that hooks an audience and won't let go of them is harmful. No matter how wonderful you may have believed it was. Oh, you're a tough critic. Are you saying that we members of the audience have a reality to which we should return? Yes, I am. For some who sit and watch the film, miserably waiting for them the instant they go back to reality, you're willing to accept responsibility for depriving these people of their dreams? No, I'm not. But dreams are meaningful Dreams are meaningful when you work toward them in the real world. If you merely live within the dreams of other people, it's no different from being dead. Ah, you're a realist. If a romantic escapes from reality, then yes. A strong girl you are. If the reality you believe in ever comes if the reality you believe in ever comes about, you give me a call. When it happens, that's the time we'll leave this theater. Th- that scene it's, it's, just floored me. It's it's beautiful. It's it's wonderful and it's, and it's, this is the psycho this is the philosophical stuff that the movie tackled. Not not this this concept, but this heavy, heavy like what's reality what's uh, this is the kind of stuff that i i love this is why i wanted to be an entire episode because oh man it just it floored me and that's and that's the thing that's that's why because they can't really show anything of the movie to, i'm fine with that to give you any of the actual experience of it th- th- that i worry that they that they worried that talking about it would be a little much i I wanted more of maybe the a little bit of that conversation that she was having with the director. I, and I wanted a little bit more uh, prior to that. I wanted her to figure out more stuff. I, I just wanted more from that from that maze. Well, the only thing I wanted was uh, a conversation between her and the inspector who got lost in the brain case after they pulled him out. Um, just like just or, or something between the two of them, because they've experienced something that's extremely unique to the real world. Yeah. And and I, I I would be generally curious to to hear like what she would say to him or what he would say to her, um, having to leave. So yeah. I wish we got that. Uh, and this is, this is where this this <laughs> dumb little standalone standalone throwaway episode just asks some of the biggest questions of the entire thing. Who would have thought that this would have started with? A sad girl and a multi-legged robot. Yeah, but having at a the same time, at the same time, this is the kind of stuff that I want from Ghost in the Shell. Like, yes, like give me action episodes, give me like cases of the week, but also give me episodes that really meditate on some of the big concepts that this world is is working within. And I think within the shell of a fluff episode, because I, I mean, I still believe it's a little bit of a fluff episode in terms of its basic plot, in terms of what's going on everywhere. 
but in terms of what it is delivering as a meditation on life and death in this reality in which Ghost in the Shell standalone complex exists, I I think this is in some ways one of the best episodes conceptually of the show. And, and that's kind of why I wish it was two episodes because I really want both stories to have room to breathe. But because and I think this is why they do this, because it's an essay of a standalone, you cannot have dangling threads from one story leading to another unless it's part of the complex. Sure. I think that's why they put them together. Yeah. But man, I mean, what an episode to kind of end this run on because I, especially heavy. the second half, like I just, as, as a fan of film and a <laughs> fan of like stuff like this, I just, I was blown away by that. I, mm. Uh, what was that when she gets pulled out or when or not when she gets pulled out, but when she comes out, she 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 has a line. I can't remember what she calls it. She says she walked over like what she it was difficult coming going over the ghost something like the I wish I because it was I think it was she mentions a like a it's a I think it's like a defensive barrier. It's something specific uh, that goes after. I think you're oh. a, a ghost. It wasn't just ghost barrier. It was something specific. I remember I, I wish I, I didn't write it down because it it wasn't central to the theme of the this, this story. But um, that's when they like because obviously in in the real life, she walks past that barrier and her body just kind of is a husk. It's just nothing. It's just a cyborg unit and they lose her. Uh, and, and, it, which and is interesting and, to see everyone's reaction because well, she's. The best. Yeah, oh, oh, here it is. She's gone. Uh, she was trying to cross over the ghost line. The ghost line. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, this is something that is also just super fascinating. That you're a filmmaker. We find out that this is a the the cyber brain of a filmmaker who was I, who, who wasn't to the extreme. <laughs> who felt that they weren't appreciated in their time, so they created this mind. Well, they film. also. They also couldn't do what they wanted to do with conventional theaters because, oh, because uh, big studios would not give him the money he wanted to, he needed to make the films he wanted. So he decided to work within his brain. I want to see this episode redone, except for instead of that director, it's, it's Michael Bay. Michael Bay's brain is in the brain cave. <laughs> God. I can, <laughs> I can point you to a couple of websites that will. <laughs> That <laughs> would just be so funny. You also, you also get this great scene again, and I love these small moments that happen at some of these standalone episodes between Bato and uh, the major because they start talking about movies, and you also see their their diametric difference. Because you know, yeah. she asks him, you know, have you ever cried? Has has a movie ever moved you to tears? And he's like, oh yeah, where that where that come from? And he's like, well, there was one time I I I cried from laughing so hard at a Marx Brothers film. Yeah. And of course, she's she's like, oh, well, that sounds like you. And they have <laughs> this banter about like going to see a movie sometime. And she basically says, like, if there's ever a movie you want to see it, I make a special point to see it alone. And he asks, oh, what about the ones you don't want to see that badly? I don't see them. Like, <laughs> makes sense. Like, it's, a, it's a really funny little pithy bit of dialogue at the end of the episode that I I really like because – Bato sounds uh, like the kind of person that like definitely is going to go to the theater when he sees something he wants to see, but he's also, he might check something else out. Whereas the major 
if she were to take into a film, it would specifically be something she really wanted to see. And but, again, I, but again, it's one I, of the, I got quite a laugh at that. It, it's one of the situations where, you know, you have cybernetic eyes. You could just go into a theater experience and watch whatever you wanted and have an actual simulated theater experience. Like it's it's it, it again. Well, it depends. It depends uh, on on how it works there. But it's also it's honestly it's, this is this is the 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 difference between me and Drew because I am definitely bought in this situation. I go to the movies all the time because I enjoy it. Yeah, I, look, I also enjoy the, the movies. But I'm not saying you don't, but you only go see the movies you really want to see. Because I have two kids and I can't, and babysitters are expensive. No, 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 you told me you, you oh, hate, crap, you hate, does you the hate major you. have two kids? Is that <laughs> why does. she doesn't go to the movies? Yes. <laughs> yep, you got it. The major with her cybernetic body has two kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know, I know you have two kids as well, but you, you always generally make a point to see a movie you really want to see in theaters. I mean, that's it's it's more because of circumstances than anything. If 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 they were different, I would see movies a lot more. Obviously, we're talking about this in a time when movie theaters are closed, which is so <laughs> weird to talk about. Right. Anyway, um, so what, let's um, uh, round up. How do you feel about this round of six episodes? This is a better six. Um, it well, this is a, this has a better s- standalone set of episodes than I, I agree. The first six, um, 10, uh, 10 and 12, 10, 12 and seven are are just solid. They're just really good. Um, I, I like them quite a bit, especially 10 and 12 uh, are just fantastic standalones. Uh, the the Laughing Man Complex, I mean, 11 is is great. It's not as good as it's not it's not as as of right now. Uh, I, I still enjoyed watching the three back to back to back. Right. Uh, this this one gives, gives you a bit. teaser and it requires, mm-hmm. you know, looking into more, which unfortunately for next week, we will not have a single laughing man yeah <laughs> episode so, so next week we are going to be covering seven episodes the next seven episodes not six but seven and they are all standalone episodes before I'm we get in my, I'm, I'm getting my scissors out because i'm gonna be doing a lot of cutting <laughs> i'm gonna be doing a lot of the trimming You're, I, you I, think I, you are curious. but we'll see I'm curious how much the the Laughing Man OVA and Tie Ties cut has in common. <laughs> well, what's funny about that is the Laughing Man OVA. Like we are, st- we're going to end this whole run with seven complex episodes. We're going to get seven standalones and then seven complex. And I can't imagine that they have condensed that much content into a couple. Yeah, of hours. the the Laughing Man OVA I think is 180 minutes. Last time I checked, I think it's around there. But there's stuff you can still cut from episodes that we have seen that are Laughing Man. If you're putting all presentation entirely together, you could probably cut the chat room episode out entirely. I uh, I would, yeah. If I and and I thought about that. I thought, well, if if you do if a com- I cut if standalones, then if I if I let's say we 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 come back and we say okay, we watched seven episodes. Tyler, how many of these standalones did you cut? And I said seven. Then I would probably then go back and cut. Uh, the chat room episode because you wouldn't need it. You wouldn't need that little reminder of all the different it give, the little Yeah, it know. gives us information that we need in the moment, but it's yes. it's more of something to make you think while you wait another couple of weeks for 
the next yeah. episode. A brutal wait. A Couple brutal months, wait it will be. So really, if, in Japan, definitely. Uh, so this is where we're going to end tonight's episode, folks. Once again, we are doing the next seven episodes. It's going to be 13 through 19. 13 through 19. Let's do 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 19. Hey, almost like those math classes that have been teaching my kid for the last couple of months have been paying off. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to cover the next seven episodes, which are all standalones. I'm sure we're going to have some stuff to talk about next week. If you would like to reach out to us in the meantime, if you have been hanging out with us or not, uh, email us the more you nerd at gmail.com, facebook.com slash the more you nerd Twitter at the more you nerd uh, Tyler. I know I'm going to speak for you because Go for it. you and I have been doing something fun. It's called the Cosmic Crit Podcast, the Starfinder tabletop RPG podcast that Miles is a part of, too. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm just subverting expectations. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Uh, the Cosmic Crit Podcast, in the middle of our third season, we are getting into it with these characters. It's a lot of fun. And of course, every Thursday and a lot of Saturdays, starting at 9 p.m., Eastern time, 6 p.m. Pacific times in those United States time zones. Uh, Tyler and I and our old buddy Mike from the Morian Nerd have been playing Final Fantasy VII, the original Final Fantasy VII uh, that Tyler has somehow never played and has no mm-hmm. idea or concept of any of the the story of it. Somehow, it's like he's never <laughs> yeah. seen The Godfather or... Right. Uh, or any of these other things. It's not that just that he's never seen The Godfather. He also doesn't know that Don Corleone talks like this. Yeah. It would be like if I never even... I didn't even know what it was. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but listeners, I gotta say, uh, I'm getting... I, I, I'm i having so much fun doing this with you, Drew. But <laughs> there, because both in this and in, in what we're doing here, you know, I have not seen these. You have. I have not ever played or know I know nothing about Final Fantasy VII. You have beaten it a quadrillion times. And so, you know, listeners, you have no idea what it's like to, to be pontificating about these things. And then I look over at Drew's video and I just see this smile, this smirk, <laughs> this this little giggling troll uh, who knows everything, everything while I just kind of stumble through the murk. But if you like that, uh, certainly, you can join us uh, on Twitch and as we as we go through Final Fantasy, and and seven. maybe one day Tyler will will turn the tables on me and we'll do something else that uh, that gets us to to stream where I'm in the dark yeah. and he knows everything, I which know. will probably be pretty easy to do. So until next time, gang, we end the show here as we always do with a rousing nerd. nerd. Out. Out.